Welcome to KPL Lit Talks. In today's podcast, we're going to discuss our favorite reads of 2020. I'm Claudette Stockwell, the Library Director. And I'm Kim Mather, the Teen and Adult Services Librarian. I'm pretty excited about this, Kim. I bet you've read some good books. I've read some good books. I did. It was very hard to select just a few to talk about with you today. I'm with you. So the one thing I would like to say is just because there are favorites, it's okay if you've read these books and didn't think they were your favorites. It's okay if they didn't make it on a top 20 list or a top 10 list. Uh, These are just ones that we personally enjoyed. Exactly. So tell me, Kim, what was one of your favorites? So one of my favorite books this year was The Enigma Game by Elizabeth Ween. She um, has also written some other books you may be familiar with, Codename Verity, The Pearl Thief. Um, And some of the characters from those books actually carried over into her Enigma Game book. And I really enjoyed this book. I had a hard time putting it down. Um, I pretty much read it in a day. I just I just had to get to the end of this book to find out what happened. That's pretty exciting that you read it in a day. I love books like that yes. that you can't put down. It's tough, especially when you have other responsibilities and things that you should be taken care of and you can't get out of your book. You can't get out of your book. My book, I feel the same way. The, I've seen The End of You, A Neurosurgeon's Look at Faith, Doubt, and the Things We Think We Know by Dr. Lee Warren. I was the same way. I just, I mean, it took me more than a day, but I had that very much. Didn't want to put it down. Kept wanting to go back to it. Was sad when it ended. Really, really loved that book. Awesome. I love it when we have great stories to share. Me too. So tell me more about this Enigma game. The Enigma game, um, without giving too much of the story away, um, Louisa Adair is an orphan um, due to um, a bombing in London and is now forced to take care of herself. And she finds herself at an inn um, taking care of an 82-year-old woman, Mrs. Jane Warner. And together they um, crack some codes and... um, Jane also teaches Louisa um, Morse code, and she's using some of that Morse code in um, communications with a German soldier um, that has um, brought something to the uh, Royal Air Force Base, which they live right near. And um, we've also got some characters like Jamie, he's a flight lieutenant um, and commands a squadron of some really interesting characters. And then there's a volunteer, Ellen McEwen, who drives um, vehicle for the RAF running errands, um, taking um, the commander to different posts and um, things of that sort. And she gets in on the secret code that the ladies are working on and they bring Jamie in on it, and it's just a really neat... Yeah, it sounds a little suspenseful. Yeah. I have to read this book because I have not read it. Oh, mm. well, I'll try not to give too much more away then. Try not <laughs> to give it all away. Exactly. 
So for mine, the I've Seen the End of You, mine's actually a true story. It's a memoir written by Dr. Warren, who is a practicing brain surgeon. Uh, he really works with geoblastomas, which is a very rare type of cancer that in almost all cases cannot be cured. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he deals with other healthcare problems and head injuries. Uh, and one of the things that I think was the most amazing about this book is that when he met a patient and he looked at their diagnosis or he looked at his scans, he would think, I've seen the end of you. And it would be really hard for him as a doctor to try to give his patients hope when he felt there was no hope. Um, and things got even more personal for him because his son also had died and he was grappling, you know, he was dealing and grappling with his own sense of self and how do you deal with loss and and trying to find faith in a world that seemed just so gloomy. But he turns it around. His patients help him do that. His patients show him that even against all odds that you can fight through difficult outcomes um, and that not always, not always do people die even when they're given a death sentence. So it really was an inspiring story. Uh, it's a nonfiction, which for me is not usually the books that I choose. Something about the title grabbed me, and I still a year later, because I think I let it. I read it many, many months ago. It's something I'm still going back to, and I'm still pulling, and I'm saying, hey, have you read this? You should read this. Oh, well, thank you for that tip. I think I'll have to pull it off the shelf, because nonfiction is definitely my preference for reading. That's awesome. I'm glad that we're going to be doing this, since I'm a fiction lover. And with that, which is pretty ironic, all of my books that I'm talking about today are all nonfictions. Um, so isn't that strange? My next one that I would like to talk about is called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb. And it's very interesting because she talks about her own journey in therapy and also her patient's journey in therapy and what she feels to both be receiving help and giving it. I don't know. This was just another one of those books that I was like, you should really read this. You should really read this. I think it's good for anybody that sees a therapist, is thinking about seeing a therapist, and just what you can get out of therapy and why it's important that we realize that even therapists do need help, that, you know, they're just humans. And sometimes people go to therapy and think there should be a magic cure-all and that it's really just a process. Did she have a hard time... um because she's, I can't word it the way I want it to word. <clears throat> because she's a therapist? I'm like. Yeah. Um, so is the therapist struggling with stories and, and events that her patients are sharing with her? Is this where she's turning for help to, to deal with? With her, um, the traumas. Her trauma. Is the therapist turning to therapy for herself because, because of her patients? Because of her patients. It's funny that you bring that up. Um, they do suggest that therapists, as a rule, have a therapist for that because they are specifically handling, you know people's crisis. But in this particular situation, she was actually seeking a therapist because she was having uh, difficulty getting over a breakup. Um, And she was really struggling with that. And she was actually going to therapy for her own needs, you know, to her own life. I'm glad you asked that, Kim. Hmm. 
Well, the second book I would like to talk about is another book that took place during World War II, and it is The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. And I have to say, I read this book because it was um, a chosen book for our book discussion group. I never read the jacket before reading it. I just dove right into the book, and I was quite taken by surprise. I was so enjoying it, but I... <laughs> I didn't realize till I was quite a ways into the book that it was um, a fictitious story based on the life of Hedy Lamar. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. You were you were like really into it, and you thought it was a real, true story. See, fiction really does have some some good things to offer. It does, and it was very interesting to um, to see how I. I I'm sure some of it was was tied in with actual events that happened in her life. So it was very interesting to see um, what a brilliant woman that she was and um, how she used her intelligence to escape a bad marriage. Hmm. Nice. Sounds like she could use a therapist. I Just think, saying. I think you might be onto something. <laughs> Well, I have another therapy book. I, it's it's sort of kind of a strange thing. I didn't realize that I was really on this path in 2020. But uh, my last favorite one for today is called Group. And it's how one therapist and a circle of strangers saved my life by Christy Tate. And this, I just really was surprised by the book because it was like therapy I've never heard of before. So in this particular group, she starts off seeing a therapist. She does, I think, about three individual groups with him. And then he, well, I say groups, three individual meetings. And then he says, I'm going to put you in a group. And that's how he handles all his patients. He gets to know them over, you know, of course, of, you know, probably three hours worth of therapy appointments. And then he decides which group they should be in. And then all the rest of therapy is done inside a group. And each of the individuals has to sort of take a vow that they will be completely honest with each other. So there'll be no secrets. And uh, for her, she was struggling with overeating. And she would go home at night, and for some reason, she would eat one apple, and then two, and three, and four, and five. And some nights, she could eat up to eight apples in a night. And she just had to, like, come forth and be honest. Hey, you know, I, I ate eight apples last night. And that's hard when you really think about being honest with someone 100% and that they were all being honest with each other, but how in holding secrets, how that actually ties you down and how the group really helped her. She was at times throwing temper tantrums, like right in the middle of this group. She Like the people, they became like her family. Uh, and there's a lot of controversy over this author, which I didn't know, and I'm not going to feed into it. I'm sure some people might look about that. I, I haven't even looked at it. I just really, really love the idea of this. I love the idea of group in which you could come to trust people and just tell them everything. Yeah. Did it take the participants long to be able to trust and work and share um, I feel like I wouldn't necessarily want to share in a group setting. Right. I think I would rather talk one-on-one -on -one with a therapist. But I think that's what part of his whole idea was, is that 
he wanted people to be accountable to a small group. And he would do different things so he would see what each individual needed. So she needed one thing or different things. So he would say, okay, I want you to call, you know, Mary every night and, you know, tell her what you ate. And then she wouldn't even talk to her. She would just leave a voicemail. You know, I had five apples tonight. Um, and then she would call another individual in the group and he would give her an affirmation. And each each person just had a different role within each other so that eventually she even, there was another group was considered to be a better group that, you know, she eventually was like, I really want to get into this group where, I mean, it really was, it, I, I mean, some people I can't imagine really would enjoy a group like this, but I think in the end, it made her be honest with herself. And I think that was the goal. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have another favorite? I do have another favorite. It is a nonfiction book, and it is called Racers by Neil Bascom. And he also wrote The Nazi Hunters and um, Sabotage, The Grand Escape. So he's got quite a few out there if you want to check them out. Um, but this particular book um, was just a little pre-World War II, um, and it was kind of how the Germans became the best at so much. And uh, one of the things was racing, that they were dominating the race world. Um, after the uh, stock market crash in the United States, it had a rippling effect into Europe's um, racing scene and car production. And they were not... Um, a lot of the racing companies were not creating new cars and mm. entering the races like Bugatti and um, Alfa Romeo and, oh, I can't even remember all of them. But that said, there was a driver who was not allowed to drive because he did have some Jewish heritage um, and about a woman who was a driver of rally road races, not just the Grand Prix. Um, the most of the story is about the Grand Prix racing. Um, but there was a woman who uh, was a rally road, uh, a rally racer, and she decided that she was getting old and it was time to move on to other things. And she actually funded the uh, project for them to kind of take the Germans down a notch and um, win some races. And so so I don't want to give too much more away. It's but very, That's very interesting, though, because of, of all the things about World War II, that's not something you really hear a lot about. So no, not at all. Yeah. Exactly. So would you say any of the books that you read will be books that you will continue to remember in years to come? Oh, definitely, especially the Enigma game. It really um, had... Quite a, a gripping story to tell. I think that's one of the things that when I think about what are my favorite books, it's do I remember them? I read a lot, but I often forget what I read. You know, they're good. They're, you know, it's not, you know, some are not good. There's some books out there that you're like, can't wait to get through this. Um, but I think what I consider for me to be favorite books are books that I will remember and we'll still be seeking out two, three, four years from now saying, hey, have you read this book? You should read this book. Yes. So that's what defines a favorite book for me. 
I have no problems putting a book down as well. If I cannot get through it, I just don't force myself to read it. I'll, I'll read as far as I, I need to to decide it's not for me and move on. Because, too many books. Yes, yeah. there are too many books Too many to books, read. too little time. I agree. You should read what uh, you're interested in. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening to us today. We look forward to podcasting about more books soon. And don't forget to stop in and check out some of these great books at the Kellen Lee Public Library.